Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Then said Jesus to them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me, and you shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Where will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go among the dispersed, among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, You shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Our study in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, continues in verse 25. This is the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. The Apostle John continues to write about Jesus here in the midst of the temple in Jerusalem. The result is opposition and division as he continues to teach about his relationship to God his Father and how he is going to the Father where none who do not believe in Christ can come. So Dr. Mitchell then draws our attention to Jesus' teaching on this last day of the feast concerning coming to Jesus to drink of him. Now Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given by Jesus because Jesus had not yet died and been raised and ascended back to heaven in order that he might send the Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, turn with us to John chapter 7, verse 25 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. We come to you again today with exposition on the gospel through John. And I know that you folk are reading it through, at least I sincerely hope you are, because the more you read it, the more hungry you will be for the truth that the Lord reveals to us in this precious gospel through John. As we see the person of Christ as the center of attraction from the first page to the last page of the book. And I sincerely hope that the Spirit of God will give to you and to me an enlarged vision of the person of our wonderful Savior. I think too often we Christians have missed something in not getting into the Word of God to see Him, the one who is indeed altogether lovely, and the one 
who has made such wonderful provision whereby you and I can come into the presence of God and be acceptable. Now in the seventh chapter of the Gospel through John, we're dealing with Christ as the heavenly one. And in the first 13 verses, we had Christ and his brethren. I'm repeating some things here to pick up the connection for those of you who have not been listening in with us. In the first 13 verses, we have Christ and his brethren. <clears throat> I take it this is his family from Nazareth. And there were two things that these disciples did not, these brethren did not know. They did not know the, the person who our Savior was. They knew him as Jesus. But in his character as the Christ of God, uh, they did not know this. Nor did they know the world to which they belonged. It's an amazing thing how, how even Christians do not realize very much about the world to which, in which we live. So I say it again, they did not understand his person, they did not know his purpose, and they did not know the religious world to which they belonged. Uh, the world hated him, but the world didn't hate them. The world always hates one who seeks to walk in that life of holiness before God. You know, it's not our doctrine or our faults and our sinfulness that affects people. It's when we live holy lives before God. This brings conviction to their own hearts and to their own conscience. In fact, these brethren even suggested to Jesus what he should do. If, if you think you are what you claim to be, why don't you go up to Judea? Why don't you go up to Jerusalem and show yourself? If you, if you want to be made known, why don't you do that? You remember our Lord said, your time is always here. My time is not yet come. And by the way, you will follow that right through from chapter 2 where he said to, to his mother Mary, my time is not yet come. Chapter 7, over and over again, my time is not yet come. In chapter 8, my time is not yet come. And when you come to chapter 12, now is mine hour come. And then you remember from 10 to 13, you have the, the perplexity of the people. They do not know what to make of Jesus. I call them theological gypsies. Uh, some say he is the Christ. Others say he's not. Why, Christ would come, is not going to come from, from Nazareth. He's going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come in the clouds of heaven. And so the, I read in verse 43, there was a division because of him. And I say again, very frankly, Jesus Christ is the issue in every individual life, in every generation. Now from 14 to 39, we have our Lord's heavenly claims. And in verses 14 to 24, he declares that his message is from heaven. He claimed his authority was from heaven. And if they really wanted to know the will of God, they, God would reveal it. If a man wills to do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it be of God. And then the next thing is he claimed, he himself claimed to come from heaven, from verses 25 to 36. He's the heavenly one. He belongs to heaven. Allow me to uh, suggest to you, as I read from verse 25, then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the, do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man where he's from. He's from Nazareth. But when Christ cometh, 
No man knoweth whence he is. I take it to have pastorally Malachi chapter 4 in mind, where he's going to come as a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then sought they to take, to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent policemen to take him. Then said Jesus to them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me, and you shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Where will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go among the dispersed, among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, You shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Let me just stop there for a moment. Here our Lord is not only claiming that his message was from heaven, but that he came himself from heaven. And by the way, may I say, over 40 times in the gospel through John, our Lord claims his heavenly origin. You remember, and I repeat what I've said before on this radio program, uh, some few years ago, we put men on the moon and brought them back. 1900 years, God, heaven, put a man on the earth and then took him back to glory. I speak of our Savior. And here in this passage over in the Gospel of John over 40 times, he talks about the fact that he's from heaven, that his Father sent him, that he's going back to heaven. He's the heavenly one. It's what we have here. And you notice that if Jesus is not from heaven, then how are we to know God? I come back to the same situation, same problem. If Jesus Christ is not what he claimed to be, God manifest in his in the flesh. And as we've been reading in these chapters, especially from chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, where we have the great claims of Christ, when he claims to be the Jehovah Rapha, he claims to be the one who has authority from God. He claims to be able to raise the dead. Equality with God in authority. All life is in his hands. All resurrection is in his hands. All judgment is in his hands. He is the one who can still the storm and feed the hungry. He's the El Shaddai. He's the bread of life. The life he gives is, is eternal life. It's satisfying life. It's resurrection life. It's indwelling life. My friend, if this Jesus is not God, tell me, what revelation of God do you have? What is God like? If Jesus Christ did not come from heaven, sent by the Father into the human race to reveal God to men, if he's not what he claimed to be, I ask the question, what revelation do you have of God? Now, you can point to the you can point to creation. You can point to the heavens. You can, you can talk about all the questions of science. But what is God like himself? 
And does he have any, any interest in you? Does he have any personal interest in you? Does he have any personal interest in me? God is a personality. I'm a personality. You're a personality. Is there any relationship? If Jesus is not what he claimed to be, how can we ever know God? That's why when we come to the 14th chapter, and I don't mind repeating it when we come to the 14th chapter, when he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. I and my Father are one. What I'm trying to get to your heart, he came from heaven. And he goes on to say, I know him, but you don't know him. You see, they claimed that Jesus Christ was from Nazareth. As you had in chapter 6, you remember, who do you think you are, seeing you're the bread of life? We know your father and mother, your brethren, your sisters, we know all about you. You're the carpenter from Nazareth. Who do you think you make yourself? So you have this, this increasing opposition of the leaders and increasing perplexity among the people. And the Lord marks what he says. Have the rulers changed their minds about killing Jesus? You have this in verses 25 and 26. Do the real rulers indeed know that this is the very Christ? And he, he answers that by saying what he came from and then accuses them of ignorance. I know him, but you don't know him. He sent me, and I'm going to go back to him, but you can't come there. Why? You don't know him. You don't believe in him. They could not come where he is. Friend, let me tell you very frankly, unless you know the Savior, you can't go either. And over and over again in John's Gospel, he speaks of this fact. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Why can't we go? Because you don't know God. You don't know me. I again say, my friend, Christ is the issue. And my relationship to Jesus Christ either, either determines my destination is glory with God or out of darkness. You see, now you're very narrow, Mr. Mitchell. Well, maybe I am. But I also know that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. Jesus said this, and I confess I don't know any more about it than Jesus. And he has very clearly declared he came from heaven. The Father sent him. As we come to chapter 17, we find the Father sent him on a mission. And when he finished his mission, he could say, mission accomplished, it's finished. He went back to glory. But he made provision whereby men and women can go to glory and be with him. These Jews, he said, you can't come. Why can't they go where he is? Why can't they go to the Father? Why can't they go to heaven? Because they know not the Father nor me. See, friend, I ask you very frankly, do you know him? Do you know him? Some people say, well, Mr. Mitchell, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Well, now that sounds very good, doesn't it? So I ask the question. I have to ask the question. Okay, you believe in God. Do you worship him? How do you worship him? Do you have access into his presence? How do you know you have? Can you, a sinner, come in the presence of a holy God? See, friend, I could ask the questions. Now, again, I declare, 
if Jesus Christ is not from heaven, then we have no revelation of God personally. And we have no hope. I say this very bluntly. If Jesus Christ is not from heaven and he's not the Savior, he's not the Christ of God, he hasn't been exalted to God's right hand to be a prince and a Savior, that's not true. Then we have no hope. We're dead in our sins. As Paul writing to the Corinthian church, chapter 15, could say, we are of all men most miserable. We are yet still in our sins and have to face a holy, righteous God. Now, notice what happened in verse 32. The Pharisees, when they heard all this, they murmured. And then they sent officers to take him. Uh, I take it on the order of policemen to take Jesus captive. Mark what the Lord Jesus said. Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go to him that sent me. You shall seek me, and you shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. In verse 36, what manner of saying is this? You shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Why? Why? Because they did not believe him. In verse 28, he that sent me is true, whom you know not. My friend, I ask you the question, are you ignorant of God or do you really know him? I'm not asking if you believe certain doctrine. I'm asking you, do you know him? I come right back to chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as received him. To them he gives the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you put your trust in him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Now, now we come from verse 30, 37, right on down through verse 44. Now we come to a very, very important passage of Scripture. The last great day of the feast. Let me read it. In the last day, that great day of the feast. Now remember, the Feast of Tabernacles had eight days. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This speak he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. I'd like to just stop here. Let me just suggest this question of the claim of Christ. Now remember in the chapter, he said that he was from heaven. His message is from heaven. He's gone back to heaven. And he will send the Holy Spirit from heaven. 37 to 39. Jesus here is claiming to be the fulfiller of Joel chapter 2. Now what does Joel chapter 2 say? In the, in the last days... God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall dream dreams, your old men shall see visions, and so on. Uh, and the Jew knew this, that when the kingdom was set up in the day of the Lord, he was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. It might be worth for me to suggest this. In view of the fact that the Lord stood up and he shouted out, if I may use the word here, he cried out, he shouted out at the top of his voice, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, why did he say that? Well, I say again, the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast of Jehovah, and it was the only feast 
which had eight days. Now for seven days the priests left the temple in Jerusalem and went down to the pool of Siloam, and they, and they carried their pitchers, and they filled the water from the pool of Siloam, and then marched back to the temple, and then poured out the, the water on the ground as a, as a drink offering to the Lord. And as they went, they quoted the 103rd Psalm, and then 105 through 118. Now, if you take those Psalms, you remember the 103rd Psalm? It is a very precious Psalm. It, it's a psalm full of praise to God for what he has done. When you come to 105th Psalm, 106, 107 Psalm especially, they reiterate the history of Israel crossing the wilderness, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. Now God cared for them until he brought them into the land. Likewise, eh, on from 808 down to 118, it's full of praise to God. So as they swung away from the pool of Siloam, they sang these psalms of praise to God. Now, they did that for, for seven days. They, remind, they were reminded, of course, of how God had carried them through the Red Sea, of how uh, he gave them water from the smitten rock, as you have it in Exodus chapter 17, and of how he gave them manna from heaven, and uh, as I say, water from the rock. You find this in chapters 12 through 17 of the book of Exodus. And they were, they were praising the Lord for the provision God had made. You remember in chapter 17, they were thirsty, and God said to Moses, uh, take your rod and smite the rock, and it will give forth its water. And you remember, he smote the rock, and the water came out. When you come to the book of Corinthians, I read, that rock which followed them was Christ. So Jesus now, in the fulfilling of this picture, which you have in Exodus chapter 17, stood up that last great day of the feast. Now on the last day, they did not go to the pool of Siloam, and and pick up the water as they did the first seven days. The eighth day was the great day of the feast, a day of rejoicing, a day of praising and worshiping God. And that last great day, the Lord Jesus stood up and shouted out, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You remember our Lord spoke of this in John chapter 4, to the woman at the well, the Samaritan sinful woman. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask of him. He would give you living water. And out of you will come what? Rivers of living water. Friend, are you thirsty for living water, for satisfying water, for something that will quench your, the thirst of your heart? Jesus said, if you take this natural water, he said to this woman, you'll thirst again. All that the world offers uh, will never satisfy your thirst. But Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And by the way, he is still saying that to you today. Am I talking to you, my friend, and you have never accepted the Savior? You have never known the joy of sins forgiven, the joy, that peace that comes from knowing God? Let us not be like these, like these Jews who knew not God, Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't come. Why? They didn't know God. Now Jesus stands up with their minds are full of the history of God taking them out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. He cried out, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Friend, are you thirsty for reality, for real joy? 
I tell you, you can find it only one place. That's in Jesus Christ. And again, I quote that precious verse from Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all you that labor, you who are heavy laden, you who are carrying burdens, and I'll give you rest. Rest is found in Christ. Why don't you receive him as your own personal savior and pass from death to life? And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. Our teacher has been Dr. John G. Mitchell. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.